A little different in worship this morning. I don't know if you knew, but Norm, I don't know if Norm and Terry are here. I don't, I don't think they are because they are celebrating the birth of a new grandchild. So that is awesome. And um, a few weeks ago, we had a prayer for Blaine Shields as he was commissioned as a federal employee to go serve in our southern border. So he is right in the middle of our immigration crisis right now, serving us. And, and so as a worship leader, as a worship pastor, I was like asking myself, how best can we serve the Lord this morning with what we have? And so we made some changes. Marlene's normally up here with us, and she was a, a trooper. Um, she is great. Love having her up here. But we just thought maybe... Maybe it would be better to try something a little different this week, a little simpler. And um, so we took a risk. And um, I just, I wonder about you guys. Do you ever take risks in worship? Do you ever put yourself out there and be vulnerable? You know, for me, if I sing a bad note on the microphone, everybody hears it. That's a risk. Um, but for you in, in worship, just a, just a thought. Lord just gave that to me. Do you take risks in worship? We did this morning, and um, God's going to be honored because it doesn't matter about us. It matters about him, and we're uplifting his name, whether it's a piano or a ukulele or an electric guitar or the drum set. We're here for him this morning, and I love that song that we we just sang, just declaring the truth of God, preparing us for what he has for us this morning. In the scripture, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jim covered James 1, verses 2 and 4. I'm going to put you on the test here, and I'm pretty sure he's probably watching. Hi, if you're watching, Pastor Jim. Um, Do you remember what his, after the intro to James, what the first message was when he started getting into the text? Do you remember either what the theme was or the title of the message. For those of you that are note takers and have, them, have sermon notes cataloged, you got it back there? Is it Vicky? Am I right? Deep into the pool. Oh, yeah. Go, yeah. Diving deep. Yep. That was, the, that was definitely the, uh, something that he said. Anybody else? No. Facing the fire. There he goes. Yeah. Facing, facing the fire. And um, so uh, it, that was the title of his message. And uh, to illustrate this message, he doused himself in fuel and lit himself on fire. Do you remember that? Oh, maybe that was another message that I saw. Just kidding. He didn't actually do that. But wouldn't that be awesome? That would, that would be awesome. Um, anywho, he helped us develop the thought that God had one thing in mind when it comes to trials, maturity. That was, that was the main thing. And so when he said, throwing us into the deep end, that's how we learn. That's how we grow in the crucible, in trials. And so he was helping us to see that maturity is the end goal that God has in store for us through trials. Okay, so with that foundation, we, we take that through the rest of this chapter. And really that carries, that message carries throughout the book. But with that foundation, let's turn to this morning's text, which is James 1, 13 through 15. I apologize, there is a one missing in front of the five in your, 
sermon outline there, but James 1, 13 to 15. When you're there, yell out, fire! All right, there we go. I'm going to keep you with me this morning. Wake you up here. Okay, so I, I heard a lot of people yelling fire, so I think maybe the majority of us are there. How many of you guys have your marker in James because we're staying there in your Bible? If you don't, that might be a good idea. That's what this is for. We're camping out here. So James 1, 13 through 15 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, is, it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we pause and we, and we ask that you would illuminate your scriptures, not through the eloquence of my words, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired James to write these words from your heart. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the words of Scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifest right now and that you would be moving heavily and that we would feel your presence as we discuss your word. May we never just think about your word, God. May we be contemplating and may we be grappling with it and may we be always desiring to do something with your word, to apply it, to show a step of faith and trust in what we read in the Bible through our actions. And I ask that in your name, Jesus, the name that is above all other names. Amen. Okay. So, in the midst of trials, we will face temptation. And in order to successfully battle against temptation, we need to know, we need to know some things. We've got to have some things ready for us in our minds. And so the first thing is that temptation is not from God. Temptation is not from God. So Remember, the Bible is written primarily in Greek and Hebrew, and so in the New Testament, we're reading the English translation of the Greek language, and there's a word that is used here, temptation, and it's called pirazzo, and if Blaine was here, he'd probably be correcting me silently in his mind, uh, maybe Pastor Jim too, but this word in verse 13 there, God doesn't tempt people, God can't be tempted. That word can also be translated as testing or trials. So in James 1.13 this morning, parazzo means tempted. Yet, in James 1.2, that Pastor Jim started off with a couple weeks ago, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds the same word is translated trials there. So it's interesting when you study the word, you, you sometimes have to dig a little deeper 
than what's in your English Bible to understand what's going on. So James was actually doing some clarification in this, in this passage. He was making a distinction between trials and temptations. Because imagine they're sitting there listening to somebody, they're reading something in Greek and they see the same word and they're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, I know that you said that God sends us trials and we're supposed to be joyful in the trials, but what about temptations? You just said the same thing. You just said the same thing. What's going on with that? So James was unpacking that for them. So James wants them to know that temptation is not from God. He wants to nail that down. He wants to make sure that they're very, they're very clear about that. And so um, I, think about, I think about this word parazzo kind of like a coin. Does anybody, does anybody actually carry change on them anymore? If you've got a coin, pull, pull your coin out because it doesn't matter what coin it is. I just tried to find the biggest one that, that I had, and I think you have a picture of it. I think we have a picture of it back there. Um, so somebody actually gave me this. It's a coin of commemorating the armor of God, and, and, and it's, it's the same concept, the armor of God, but it's got different pictures on both sides. Well, think about this concept, this word that is t- that's tempted or temptation or, or trials. Think about it as a coin with two different sides. This is one coin commemorating the armor of God, but each side has its distinct characteristics. So on one side, God uses trials for our good to bring us to maturity. That's one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, temptations draw us towards sin and evil. It's the same, it's the same concept, but God as the source of the trial will never lead you towards evil. Sin and the desires within our sinful nature will always lead us towards evil and tempt us to sin. I like the way the evangelical commentary on the Bible explains this concept. Sometimes somebody way smarter than me can sum it up a lot better. So listen to this. A trial is an outward circumstance that can pose difficulties to our faith. A temptation is the inner enticement to sin. What James is concerned about is that his readers will confuse these two and attribute temptation to God. James tells us that God can't be tempted and he doesn't tempt anyone. Very clear, not mincing any words there, very forward. So the question is, why can't God be tempted. Why? I'm going to let that question settle in a little bit for you, okay? Let that question settle in, and I'm not going to give you the answer right away. But while you're thinking about that, that answer to that question, remember the question is what? Why can't God cause, why can't God be tempted, to, why can't God be tempted or tempt others, okay? So, Here's another question while you're thinking about that. Raise your hand if you desire to move from being a casual reader 
of the Bible into a student of the scriptures. Raise your hand if you want to make that jump, okay? Most people's hands are here. This is just a little free commercial for you, not really connected to the message this morning. But I asked a question there because that's how you become a student of scripture. Ask questions of the scripture. As you're reading, don't just fly over things. Stop and ask, why does it say that? Or, ooh, I don't like that. Or ask questions and don't quit until you find an adequate answer. And two quick resources I want to give for you is the Blue Letter Bible is a free website, and it's also mobile for your phone. And Bible Gateway are two great resources that you can use that are filled with things that can help you answer the questions that you come to when you're reading God's Word. Or you could go old school if you still have a bookshelf and you could buy a Bible dictionary and answer those questions. So, be a student of Scripture, ask questions. Back to the sermon. Our question, why can't God be tempted? Well, the short answer is because he's holy. Short answer. There's the quick, shorthand answer. And now I'm going to develop it a little bit more for you. He's holy. So the definition of holy is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. God, in respect to holiness, we, as we separate ourselves unto holiness, we seek to God's ultimate honor. But God is the ultimate supreme sovereign being. So he seeks himself. Does that make sense? There's nothing higher than him. So he seeks to honor himself. And God is serious about holiness. Not long ago when we were going through Exodus, we learned that God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. And this tabernacle illustrates God's holiness. So let's bring up the picture here that I have of the tabernacle. I don't know if you can see that. Um, You don't need to see all the words in it, but basically it was a temporary, it was a, a temporary site for the priest to perform the sacrifices in duty to God. It was, it was to the T, God told them how to make this. And to, to illustrate God's holiness, I want to just move you through very, very quickly, because we have a lot of other stuff to cover, but I want to show you how important holiness is to God. So the whole entire tabernacle itself was a dedicated separate spot for God. Step one of holiness. Then when you get, when you would go into the first room right here, it's called the holy place. So you go from the outer side and you go into it. So we have the holy tabernacle set aside and apart for God's worship and sacrifice. Then you go into the holy place. As you continue to go farther, there is a veil separating the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies. And then within that, you have the Ark of the Covenant that was the dwelling of God, the presence of God was in there. Do you think God cares about holiness? He does. And so James is like, don't you 
dare say that your evil, passionate, sinful temptations are from God. They are not. God is not the author of evil. He can't be tempted and he doesn't tempt anyone. He cares about holiness. So stay with me. If a holy God is not tempted to sin or not tempted by sin and he doesn't tempt us to sin, where does temptation come from? There's another one of those questions plaguing you this morning. Where does it come from then? That's a great question to ask of the text. Point number two this morning is that temptation comes from our sinful desire. Comes from our sinful desire. So let's refresh our minds here in verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. So the word here that James uses for desire is desire is a, is a, is a general term. But the, the word that he was saying here has the context of desire. Like you could desire um, a wonderful marriage. You could desire peace in our country. Those would be good things. But what he is saying here in this word is a desire that is directed towards something that's forbidden. That is the kind of specific desire, something that is forbidden. What was that fruit that Adam and Eve desired? Remember that? The forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a forbidden fruit. They desired something that God told them specifically not to do. That desire was for something that is forbidden. Desiring forbidden things is a universal struggle for mankind. And it's alive and happening today. And it goes all the way back to our ancestors, Adam and Eve. So desiring things is part of our nature, as we see in the Garden of Eden. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, has some interesting things to say about our sinful nature. You wouldn't mind turning to that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. By nature, by nature, it, we inherit that sin from Adam and Eve internally. But not only is sin inherited from Adam and Eve, it is 
inside of us. Romans 1, 18 through 21 tells us that sin is due to our personal choices to follow our own desires in rebellion against the holy God. So we're getting hit on all aspects. We've got sin internally that we have inherited from our ancestors, and we have sin that is lurking within us because we actively choose to rebel against God all the time. That is our sinful nature. The struggle is real. Sin is not something that only some people deal with. Well, those people are having a difficult time with sin, I could see, but I'm doing pretty good right now. Romans 3.23 says what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is struggling with sin. Sin is no joke. But speaking of jokes, I want to lighten things up for a minute and I'll laugh for a minute here. You good with that? All right. So, there was a guy that went fishing, but at the end of a long day fishing, he caught nothing. Nothing to show for. So, he goes to the store, the fish store, and he says, I'd like to buy three trout. And the manager said, okay. And he said, wait, but before you before you start packing them up, would you throw them to me? And the manager was like, okay. Do you mind telling me why you want me to throw fish at you? And he says, so that I can say that I caught three fish. <laughs> you can laugh. It's okay. It's not that great. But. So, speaking of fishing, we went camping a few weeks ago. Sorry, I'm chewing on a cough drop. I still have some allergy things going on. Um, so we went fishing a couple weeks ago. And while we were fishing, um, well, the kids were fishing. I was baiting the, the hook. Um, and so as the kids were doing the casting and throwing the worm into the water and not staying connected to it, I was, I was continuing to to bait the worm, and um, if anybody, anybody ever had gone fishing with the kids and you end up just baiting the whole entire time? So I, I liked it, and it was fine, and I actually am kind of thankful because um, the anxiousness and the anxiety with every cast that somebody's going to get hooked or something like that, it kind of took my brain off of, off of that, so I, I actually appreciated that a little bit. But this, this text that we're talking about this morning, believe it or not, I'm going somewhere. Um, the text this morning, James actually uses literally fishing analogies and fishing terminology in this passage, in these words. And it's really neat to see, to understand this concept from a fishing standpoint. So temptation is progressive. Temptation is progressive. That's point number three. Okay, and we're going to see this in, in these words. It's kind of hard to see in the, in the English translation, but when you, I'm going to break down these words for you and kind of try and put it together for you in a different way that maybe might 
ring a bell for you or turn the light on. So temptation is progressive. There's a reason that I can't catch a fish bigger than my hand. Anybody have that plague? I cannot, if it's bigger than my hand, I just, they, don't, they will not bite anything that I do. And there's a reason why. I'm lazy, I'm cheap, I'm impatient, and I'm not committed. I'm probably never gonna catch up. My father-in-law sends pictures of fish, you know, bigger than him, uh, you know, holding them like this are just monsters. And I'm not gonna have that experience because I'm not that committed. And so if you are a fisherman out there, what is your trick for catching the big fish? Who, who out there is a, is a fisher and not to be prideful, but just, you know, you catch big fish. What's the trick? Somebody yell, yell it out there. General principle, catching the big one. Bait, anything else? Lure, bait and lure. Thank you for illustrating my next two points. Good job. Bait and lure. Yes, a true angler knows the perfect combination of bait and lure that is going to be irresistible for a fish. They've got that down and they can just catch after catch after catch after catch because they know that that sweet spot, that combination of bait and lure. The word lure means to draw out. Okay, if you're not a fisher person like me, you're like, okay, I know that that's called a lure. It's the big shiny things. Um, but I don't know why people use it. Well, it's to draw something out. So there's that word. So to, let's see. So uh, to entice, oh no, to lure means to draw out. And the word entice means to catch by bait. Or, you know, we, we would say to bait someone, you know, to catch them, but it's the act of catching by, by bait, okay? So we have drawing out and being caught by bait. Do you see where James is going here in this passage? There's a progression at play here. So let's, let's kind of try and put all this together and wrap it up with a little, a little pretty bow for you. Point number four, temptation that progresses to sin leads to death. Progression, that pro- temptation that progresses to sin leads to death. So here's the way I came to think about it as I poured over these passages of this passage. Here's the best way that I could explain the progression of temptation that leads to death. Sinful desires draw us out of the safety of following Christ by tricking us into considering sin. Just considering sin, trick us. And considering sin leads to committing sin. You see the process there? Let me say that again. 
Sinful desires draw us out of the safety of following Christ by tricking us into considering sin. Considering sin leads to committing sin. I read something this week that hooked me right in the mouth. Listen to this. The Bible will not let us blame heredity, an evil environment, or wicked companions for sin. The blame rests squarely on the individual, on you and me. When we choose to sin, we choose death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Listen to this. Sin ravages our relationships. It oppresses our opportunities. It frustrates our finances. It murders our mind. It dashes our dreams. It holds our hope hostage and it shattered our Savior. Jesus died in your place, guaranteeing you a space in his family. You don't need to do anything. It's already been done. Just trust in Jesus because he is the victor over temptation. If we could bring the lights down now for a moment, I want to I kind of wrap this up. I don't know that there's much else that I could say than that. Choosing sin is choosing death. Paula, if you could come up. I'd like you to close your eyes right now and answer some questions just in the quietness of your heart. You don't need to write anything down unless you want to. But I just want to ask you some questions that might help you dig in a little deeper to this concept of temptation. Are you contemplating giving in to a temptation this morning? Is there something that just will not leave your mind that you can't shake? And here's the deal with temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's what you do with that sin. It's how you respond to that sin. It's the thoughts and actions that you take. We all face it. Even Jesus faced the temptation to sin by the direct personal attack of the devil. But he says that he... The Bible says that he is our high priest and without sin. Here's another question. Is there something that is enticing you? Is there something that's got you? 
been baited and you're stuck? Or how about this? If we just bear it all this morning, are you so tired of fighting against temptation that you're considering just giving in? I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm just going to do it. I'm tired of fighting with it. It's too hard. I, I just don't want this struggle anymore. And if I just give in, it'll, go, it'll all go away and I won't have to deal with it anymore. Or how about this? Maybe this morning you've fallen victim to temptation and committed a sin that you never thought that you were capable of. Maybe that's you this morning. You gave in. And you feel like you're walking around with a a scarlet letter. And this morning, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind coming forward and... and, um, I just want to... Jeff is an elder of our church. I just want to make myself available and Jeff available to you. Maybe this morning is the time that you finally admit that you're that you're you're struggling with the temptation. And that you're 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 tired of living with it. And, and maybe this morning is the morning that you, that you admit the progression completed all the way. I was in, drawn out of my walk with Christ and I was baited by my sinful desires and the devil had a field day on me and I committed a sin that I never thought I would have. And maybe this is the morning where you stop pretending that it didn't happen and you confess it. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You're just one confession away from the blood of Jesus covering your sin and restoring, beginning the process of right fellowship back with God, right fellowship back with your spouse, right right finances that honor God. And so I just want to take a moment to give you an opportunity to pray and to take that step just as temptation lures us and baits us to sin. Why don't you contemplate giving in to the Holy Spirit this morning and surrendering your will? Maybe you have not received the salvation that is offered to you in Christ. He was broken on your behalf. Jesus took on sin on that cross and died in your place. Not so that we can live in a trial-free world, but to prove to you that he is with you in the trial and that he will get you through because he got through the trial. He didn't stay on that cross He rose again as the victor over temptation. He sealed the devil's fate. There's nothing that the devil could throw at him that was going to stick. And there's nothing that the devil can throw at you that is going to stick. No temptation can overcome you. 
Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to give in to our sinful desires. We can live an empowered life in Christ, but it comes through surrender and through the confession of our sin continually, not just the first time in salvation, but continually acknowledging that there is a sinful devil out there who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy, bait, trap, entice, lure, That's his profession. And we can overcome that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you this morning. You need need to confess that. If you wanted to come forward at at this time, now would be a, a great time for that. If not, after a while, we'll go into our closing song.